Hello, and welcome to the Tuesday, January 11th, 2022 episode of The Musical Universe of Professor Hurst. This is Craig W. Hurst, Emeritus Professor of Music, podcasting from my music bunker, along with my faithful canine companion, Carmel the Wonder Dog, to share with you my latest musical interests and discoveries. I claim no special inside information about the latest or greatest music, nor do I know everything there is to know about music. What I am is a lover of music. I enjoy several genres of music, and I share with you what has currently caught my interest, old, new, outdated, and everything in between. Even old music is brand new if you have never heard it before. The universe of music is a vast one to enjoy. From my discussions, you might find something new to you and of interest to expand your own musical universe. I currently receive no compensation or motivation of any kind from any recording label, recording artist, or the estate of any performer or composer dead and gone to discuss their music and or recordings. Now with that out of the way, welcome to my musical universe. My guest today is Oakland, California-based Claudia Combs Carty. Born in Barcelona and raised in Boston, Claudia Combs Carty has been expressing herself musically since childhood. And had it not been for a fateful car trip, these songs may have been pounded out on the skins rather than rendered softly on the keys. My mom really wanted to be a musician, she says. I remember we were driving in the car and she asked, what instrument do you want to play? I thought about it and said, I want to play the drums. But at that moment, I saw a truck drive by with a drawing of a piano on the side and I said, no, I want to play the piano. Her family took that moment seriously, eventually naming the family dog Titan after the name of the piano moving company and buying their seven-year-old daughter a piano. Even though we didn't have a lot of money, Cardi says, it's the most incredible thing anyone has ever done for me. First came playing, and then singing, with classical compositions giving way to the Beatles and inspiring a passion for improvisation and expression. My family always knew when something was happening with me or when I was sad because I'd be playing the piano, Cardi says. Her decision to formalize that passion by studying at Boston's storied Berkeley College of Music ironically kind of made me hate it, Cardi admits. I get why it works for some people, but to put such structure on music, to have a right and a wrong way to do it, took the heart out of it for me. After what she calls a recovery period, she moved to New York to try out to be in a band or something. 
settling into a little apartment where her first songs were conceived. Even as she created these intricate pieces, Cardi admits that she was lacking the confidence to see them through to recorded form, even with the encouragement from other people who kept wanting to hear them. When a boyfriend bought her the equipment she needed to record the album herself, I didn't use it once. It was some, some blockage. I didn't have love for myself, she says. It took me a while to start dedicating my life to myself, a lot of therapy and a lot of self-reflection. And once I got there, I was like, let's get this recorded. Falling in love all those times made me know what I want and really defined me, says the songwriter, now 34. I'm thankful for all of it. It's wild that this album is coming out now because for the first time in my life, I'm in a very solid place. It's amazing to see myself from a perspective I did not have at the time. Cardi's new nine-song album, Phases, which dropped in October of 2021, was recorded at Oakland, California's 25th Street Recording Studios. Her sister, industry veteran Montserrat Cardi, introduced her to a team that included producer Avi Vincour of the band Goodnight Texas. During the session, which was supposed to have included five songs but ended with ten, Vinokur added guitar and vocal embellishments, but also developed a deep connection to Cardi and her work that made her comfortable with allowing someone else inside such a personal expression. It took a decade for the songs on phases to be recorded and another year for the world to hear them when COVID-19 delayed the release. At first, I was like, Get this out as soon as possible, Cardi says. But this gave me some time to really think about the way I wanted to release it. It's happened a few times that people I've never met have reached out to me and said, that song means so much to me. Nothing feels as good as when somebody says, I love that song. It's the best feeling in the world. It is my pleasure to welcome to my musical universe, Claudia Combs Cardi. Hello, Claudia. Hey there. So nice to be talking to you. It's really great to talk with you and to have you as a guest on my podcast. So let's get right to uh, a favorite question of mine. I often ask of every singer-songwriter that I, I interview for my, my show, the ancient Greeks, you know, claimed that the purpose of tragedy and drama was to serve as an emotional catharsis for those witnessing the drama. One could experience the emotional pain of what they were witnessing on stage without having to bear the actual pain of what was being viewed on stage. So in terms of your music, is the aesthetic purpose of your songs? to provide an emotional cleansing for your listeners? Or are you, as other songwriters have done, simply serving as an observer of cultural trends and making a personal commentary? That's really interesting. I think in some ways it goes 
it can be a little bit of both. I think like my process for songwriting, I don't really think of it that way as in like, I want to share this and I want to relate to people that way. Um, it just kind of comes out that way, I think, because something really important to me when I'm creating music is that it's really organic. And um, I really, I, I really create when I'm feeling things. So it's, it's kind of, it's, it would be really hard for me to be like disingenuous with my lyrics and my feelings and my songs, because they're all from personal experience and from like a, an intense feeling that I need to like get out there like some of what you're saying is like it's definitely like a release a therapy a a kind of um, cleansing for me and I I mean it's really really rad that people connect with that and that's that's another thing but it's it's very um it's very special to me that people will reach out and say oh my God, this song, like, I really felt, I feel that way right now. I was crying in my car because like, it just, those feelings really hit there. And I think the reason that I'm able to like achieve that is because it's from a genuine place and it's mm -hmm. not from an observant kind of observer kind of, um, position, you know? So it's not, it's not, yeah, I guess I'm not like critique or how do I say this? I'm not really like, um, writing about things I'm seeing. I'm more writing about things I'm feeling and then they come out mm -hmm. that way. And yeah. Does that answer that question? Well, sort of? <laughs> yes, it does. Because, because, you know, uh, you know, it goes without saying that uh, as human beings, we, we, we share the similar, very similar kinds of emotional experiences. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. we, we've all been in love. We've all lost love. We've, you know, suffered, uh, you know, the death of a loved one, uh, yeah. you know, all those kinds of things. So we do share certain emotions or we have that in, in common. And I would suggest that you expressing whatever you're feeling certainly has the potential to resonate with someone else because, well, because of uh, a similar type, type of feeling that others could have or could identify with, you yeah. know. It's a, it's also really cool. I think music has presented this kind of notion to me that like we all connect in these like kind of strange ways that are not always very obvious. Like I have conversations with people about like a song I wrote and they'll be talking about this. This really resonates with me about like, say my friend dying. And it's mm -hmm. not about that. Like it wasn't about that for me, mm -hmm. but like it kind of, it's funny, you know, like you read a book or like you hear a song, like it happens to me all the time. I hear a song and I'm like, holy shit, this could like literally be written about like how I'm feeling right now. And it's like, not even about that you find out it's like about something completely different. So yeah, it's just like about, I mean, music and art, I think is, is out there to like, you know, help you feel in some ways like less alone or like more connected with other people, because if it's honest mm -hmm. and if it's like, you know, genuine, then it just, it strikes a different chord than like everything else, you know, because mm -hmm. yeah, it's like, it just feels like you don't feel alone or something in those feelings. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, that's an amazing thing. I think that's well, why people like it, you know, you know, music making and, and listening is a shared experience. Yeah. I mean, I mean, even, you know, you, without an audience, I guess, I mean, you then are your own listener, 
But when you have add the component of an audience, you have the listener. And when you add additional people, I think you then also can have additional perspectives or interpretations. Right. And I think, and, and I think that's what you're hinting at was the idea that, you know, we might think it's one thing, but it's another. It's like, um, like being part of a, a book club uh, yeah. or a reading circle, you know, and you're reading the same book, but what you, when you get together for meetings, everybody brings a little bit different something to the table about how they interpret what you're reading. Totally. And I think that's the cool thing about music as well, because it's a very plastic art form. Yeah. And, and, you know, the artist can have a particular, well, this is what I intended, but the listener maybe by all rights can say, yes, but this is how I understood it or how I took right. it or how it related to me. So, you know, and, and maybe nobody's right, nobody's wrong and it doesn't matter. It's just a great way to connect. Right. That's exactly what I was going to say. It's like, does it really like in the end, is it really matter really what it's supposed to be about or is it more just about making people feel things or like having producing something that people like can resonate with or like kind of maybe release something or feel some kind of way about what they're going through or something mm -hmm. they have gone through and mm -hmm. uh, it's a really it's a really cool and interesting thing for that reason I think like I just making music I agree well let's get right to uh, your new album released yeah. in October mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, and the album is entitled Phases. Mm -hmm. And in your media information, you make mention that it took a decade to get the songs on the album recorded. Mm -hmm. Is the album title somewhat of an indication of different phases that you personally have been in when writing each of the songs on the album? Totally. Um, I think it, it, or not, I think it, it, it connects with how I've been in so like, so yes, it took 12 or so years for some of these songs to get recorded. And everyone who's close with me knows that it's like every year of my life, like since I started writing music, I've been like, I want to record this stuff. And it's just taken so long. I've had so many blockages, so many things holding me back when really myself, I guess, but um, phases refers to like, when I look at some of these songs, I'm like, oh my God, I was like 21. And living in New York and like such a different life than when I was living in Austin, Texas for a couple of years and wrote some other of those songs. And now I'm in California and like big time, different phases. Like, I feel like they're just like, you know, stages of your life. I think everybody probably has that, but mine feel very defined by like where I was living and moving around and, and mm -hmm. by my songs, you know, it's like on this album, which is nine tracks, like there's a couple from each place, you know, that I've lived and, you know, different relationships, different, you know, sorrows, different losses, different things like that. And, you know, it's when I say like that, this is therapeutic for me, it really is. It's like, cause I feel mm -hmm. like this is like going back into some deep things I've gone through and that like, I'm finally like at this point in my life, uh, funnily enough, it's like, I'm ready to let it go. And so it feels like I'm releasing this and just kind of letting go of it too, which is a funny thing because, you know, when you're releasing an album, you're like, you know, I imagine that people are so excited and they want to share it and they want to talk about it and they want to like relive it, you know, replaying the songs, but almost like since it's been done and mastered, I feel like it's like, okay, I'm ready to just let this go. And mm -hmm. 
I've been writing so much more like since that happened, like than ever before. And I think it's like, you know, the first song I ever wrote was don't blame me. And I wrote that when I was mm -hmm. 21 or 20 and I've been playing that song forever, like for everyone I know. And, and it's just like, now that it's recorded and like out there, it's like, okay, like go be free <laughs> and like, mm -hmm. let me move on a little bit, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of like that. Uh, uh, I, I can't remember its origins, but that idea of when you want to get uh, the monkey off your back in terms of problems you're having or whatever you take and you write them down and you put them in a bottle and you let the bottle float, you know, you throw it out in the river or whatever, uh -huh. and then they're gone. Right. Or supposedly. Yeah. It's and, something and I, like, yeah, since it's like physical or it's like tangible, it's like, it feels really real to be like letting it go, you know? Yeah. And it definitely is real because now it's recorded <laughs> and about to be released. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's a kind of thing where it's, it's out there and it's a, and, and uh, so, well, that's interesting. Uh, I would tell you that uh, I, you know, I think you're hitting right on, you know, as we age, our priorities change as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you're right about different phases of, of, of life. And I know a number of people, artists I've talked to, you know, about, uh, you know, their experiences with dealing with uh, COVID. Yeah. Uh, and how many of them have said, you know, COVID and, and being in lockdown for a while and so forth really made me rethink my priorities. For sure. And I think uh, I think that's happened for for many of us, not just singer songwriters. Yeah, well, I didn't really think about that. I think um, I feel kind of messed up saying this, but I think or not really, but it the covid everything that's happened, the lockdown, all that stuff like was actually like very transformative time for me and almost like probably one of the best times of my life. Well, like internally, obviously, externally, things were kind of hectic and bad, but um, I feel like I found like a center and like, it's, I don't know if it's maybe correlates a little bit with the record being done or something, but it just feel, I feel like a different, like, you know, I'm feel like I'm in a different phase and I feel like mm -hmm. I'm like, I feel like it was very good for me. Like the, you know, checking out kind of stepping away from the life I was in that this kind of routine that I was in and mm -hmm. all these kind of blockages I had and and just being kind of sitting with it and being alone and like have, you know, just like really mm -hmm. being able to connect with like what's in front of you was like, I mean, I think it's amazing for, for everyone in some way. I think it's like the silver lining of all this, mm -hmm. but I think I can imagine for artists and musicians, like to get that time to kind of self-reflect, not be able to like go play shows and like go be social and like, you know, be at the bar and all this stuff. It's like, it's a very different thing now. Mm-hmm. No, I keep nodding my head because <laughs> yeah, everything you know. you're saying is me is I agree and have yeah. experienced. I think I think the pandemic, if anything, it it forced me to slow down, stop, and take time to reflect, you yeah. know, on, on a lot of stuff and think about a lot of stuff. Well, I, you know, I listen to the the new album a lot. I, I always try to immerse myself <laughs> in an artist's music before I, before I interview them. And I would tell you that I find the overall uh, mood of the album to be kind of one of melancholy. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And, and, and please don't take that as a negative criticism. I definitely don't. <laughs> because <laughs> melancholy is a genuine, I mean, real emotional state. And sometimes we do need to experience it. 
Yeah. Because we need to get that cleaned out of us or, you know, deal with it and move on. And yeah. so I, the more I thought about uh, your, your album, I thought this would be the perfect recording that I would put on to listen to on a gloomy, rainy afternoon <laughs> or at 3 a.m. when I couldn't sleep and I want to just wallow in some reflection. For sure. Well, I take that as a massive compliment. Thank you. Well, good. Well, good. Um, I think you should. Thank you. I think that um, it's funny because I, I am aware and agree that there is like a sadness and like a, I mean, I guess before I was even aware of that, I noticed that a lot of people when they would hear me sing or when I was performing, there would always be like one or two people that would come up to me after and be like, I was crying. And I was like, I'd feel like, wait, why? Like, you know, didn't really get it. And then when the recording happened, I kind of got it because I was listening mm -hmm. to it and I was like, okay, this has like, it's very like sad, you know, I don't know why I'm not like a sad, sad person, but I think that because I put all my sadness into music that it just kind of, you know, accumulates there. And then the final product turns out to be kind of mm -hmm. intense and emotional and, I mean, I'm happy for that. I really like that um, it makes people feel that way. And I think it's, you know, it's been helpful for me to have an outlet to like kind of put all that stuff. And um, so, yeah, yeah, it, I definitely mm -hmm. agree that that's well, kind of, yeah. Well, you know, and along with that, and just speaking of your your work, just strictly from, a mu you know, just the music aspect, not the lyrical content, but just listening to the music. I also found a really wonderful consistency uh, in the collection of all your songs that there is a, a real, a certain indescribable, uh, you know, uh, je ne sais quoi, uh, <laughs> beauty in what I would describe as, and this is a really $64,000 word, so here we go, <laughs> in a, the beauty in a musically monochromatic wrapping mm -hmm. that yeah. you present your lyrics. It's really, musically, there's, there's a simplicity there. So it doesn't get in the way of, of your words. So most of your songs are just your solo voice Mm -hmm. in a consistently similar range. Mm -hmm. And there's some occasional vocal harmony, uh, simplistic block chording uh, harmony on the piano. And the guitar solo in an accompaniment is, you know, very understated. There's no flashy, you know, Eddie Van Halen kind of guitar <laughs> solos, you know, they're very understated and tasteful. So I, you know, I, I find that really a great, uh, a package for the artistic statement that you you were you're making well thank you yeah i mean mm -hmm. it's funny because it's like all these things were not that intentional or they didn't i wasn't like intentionally trying to make an album like that but i'm glad mm -hmm. that it's like that and it makes sense because i think i definitely have like a style of i mean there's the range that i like to sing in there's a lot of my chord progressions can be kind of similar. And it's funny because it's like probably the number one thing that I'm like the most self-conscious about. Cause I'm like, mm -hmm. Oh, do people like when I get in my head about like, you know, I suck or something. I, the first thing I always think about is like, Oh, are these like chord progressions like too simple? And like a real musician would listen to this and be like, why is this girl playing like the same thing? an E minor again. And um, it's just like, yeah. Cause that's my songwriting 
you know, especially the earlier songs that I wrote, like were really like, you know, use a lot of the same three chords or whatever. And Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but I think it's, it's funny that you mentioned that and you say you like that about that. I think it does, it did serve me well in the sense that like the record has a very like similar sound all the way through and it's like cohesive and like, it doesn't jump around too much. And yeah, the, the guitar, I mean, I'm really happy with the way all the instrumentation turned out. Um, my producer, Avi Vinegar, who's like an incredible, I mean, he plays like everything and he was, he basically had complete, like, um, complete control over like what the guitars were going to do and everything. So it was me like hearing that later on almost and being like, he really just got the vibe I was going for, like with Mm -hmm. the piano. And I think it, while the piano isn't like all over the top, it's like, I think they all kind of, when, when the guitars and harmonies are in there, it kind of connects nicely and doesn't, Mm -hmm. I really was afraid of, (laughs) of making an album that of these songs that mean so much to me and having it be like overproduced or like, sound like this mess like because how I play music when I play a live show is like me and the piano so I didn't want it to sound something like completely different and I don't I didn't want to have these fake sounds you know I Mm -hmm. that's not the kind of music I like anyway so um so it did really turn out how I wanted to in that sense well I I think I think that's an admirable quality because so much uh music today is is uh you know computer generated yeah you know, in the studio uh, mm-hmm. with with loops and sound, you know, sound effects and so on. And uh, just to go out there and, uh, you know, in a sense, working without a net, you know, here you are mm-hmm. in front of yeah. an audience, just you and the piano, and you've got to create all the interest. You've got to create all of the the, the musicality and so forth. And, and essentially to capture that same uh spirit on recording is uh is really quite quite a good uh way to go i i think certainly an honest one yeah i think so and there was a point where so we were going to do the piano and the singing separately and then it just felt like i was really scared about doing that i never play and sing Mm. without them so um i'm really glad we went with like me just playing and singing and we recorded that and it's like the 25th street recording studios has like, I mean, the microphones were insanely nice and, um, it just worked, you know, we, we went in there to try it and it was like, I went in there and played, I think, don't blame me or something first. And it was like, great, that's perfect. Like next, you know, it was like Mm -hmm. kind of just rolling through. And then when we finished that, I thought, can I release an album of just like me playing and singing at the same time? Like, does that sound insane? Like, Mm -hmm. like I'm thinking part of me is like who would want to hear this it's like too minimal it's too like quiet it's too like emotional um but like the more I played it for people or like you know thought about it played it for myself and stuff I was like I really like that and Mm -hmm. I'm glad there I think it's different you know I don't there's not a lot of stuff like that and I'm really glad we kept you know three or four songs on the album that are just me and the piano like the way Mm -hmm. it was and because that's really really like that's really really just me and Mm -hmm you know, the embellishments are really nice. We added, we added those to the more kind of poppier or like, um, catchy songs, you know, which I Mm -hmm. think it served them well, but, um, yeah, I hope it didn't go. I hope I'm glad that you felt like that. And I think, uh, that's exactly what I wanted people to feel like that. It was real, you know? Well, I, you know, I think we get bombarded with sensory, uh, 
stimulation. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? In terms yeah. of, in terms of, you know, music and then it's got to have a video with it and it's got to sure. have, oh and you go to, and you go to a live concert and you've got to have the jumbotron and they've got to have fireworks, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and it's, it's refreshing just to hear a musician, you know, just playing their instrument and, and singing and not all that additional stuff. Now I'm not knocking all that additional stuff. It's just that yeah, no, it's course. a nice alternative. It's a nice, uh, uh, a different way to, to do things. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Avi, uh, would you talk a bit about uh, working with Avi on the record yeah. and how much did he shape your sound or contribute to the overall uh, production of the album? Um, he, you know, it's interesting. He, um, he did a really great job in like kind of polishing and completing my songs in a way while still really maintaining like what they were and who I am without all of that. So, you know, we got together a few times before we went to the studio and it was Mm -hmm. basically me playing him my songs. And he said, okay, these, you know, we started with like four, I think. And he's like, these are great. You know, he had some, um, like minor little changes where he'd be like, Oh, this chord would be cool here. And, and, um, he was always really right <laughs> about that. And, uh, then when we, yeah, it's like, we went and, and recorded the the bulk of it. And then I remember we sat in his car listening to it afterwards. And we both were like, this is amazing. Like, it sounds really good. And we initially had gone in there with the intention of like adding all this stuff, maybe like recording more stuff in that studio and stuff. And he was really the one that was like, no, like it's, this needs to just like be like this, you know, there's Mm -hmm. like, he heard some things in there, he says, but it was like, really not, he, he was, I mean, that's not normal. He, he's produced a lot of stuff and they're, you know, more embellished and obviously. And, um, so it it was interesting to have him support that and really helped me, made me feel like, okay, this genuine thing of mine is like enough. And, um, touching on like what you were just talking about. It's like, I think it was, it's like scares me a little bit, like to put it out there because I think, or not scares me, but it just makes me feel like, I don't know if people really will connect with it because people are like so overstimulated and like, it's, it's not like that. But then at the same time, there are some people I think that will appreciate kind of disconnecting from all that. And, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, this I'm, I'm doing like, obviously, you know, I'm working with Krista, but PR for the first time. And it's like, um, all these other people I've talked to are like, Oh, you need a video. You need all this stuff. And it's like, that's just so really overwhelming to me. Mm-hmm. And, and like, you know, all that stuff's well and good and stuff, but I, it's not, you know, I don't know anything about that stuff or have any like, um, experience or no, you know, it's just, I really just want this to be like, I don't even really care if it's only like 20 people that hear it and love it. It's like more important to me that, um, that it, I mean, I hope it reaches the people that can use it, but, um, yeah, sorry. I'm like all over the place answering like five questions at once, but, um, it's all right. Yeah. It's, uh, well, let me bring it, come back a little bit. Did, uh, (laughs) did any of your songs come out on the album radically different from the way they went in because of Avi's input? Yeah. Um, I would say silent whispers really did. That's a, the okay. first single that we released. Um, I think it's like the best one maybe on the album or, I mean, he did, he made it really beautiful and um, he, 
that song was like maybe the most recent song I'd written. And um, I did not expect it to be in any way like a single material or like something that would be like the star of the show, but it kind of ended up that way. And mm -hmm. he made it kind of like cinematic and um, yeah, he added this like kind of depth to it that wasn't really there that, okay. I mean, it's an intense song. It's like about anxiety and, mm -hmm. and it definitely has a lot of feeling and like, and, and emotion in there. Um, and he just really brought it to life. Like, and I remember, um, you know, we'd talked a little bit about little things he was adding here and there and I was hearing it. And then when he said, okay, I got it, you know, and he sent it to me and I was listening to it with headphones and I was like crying because I was like, holy shit, this is like, I can't believe this is like my song, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. so that was really, I mean, and that was the first song he started working on too. So I think it had like kind of a bigger impact for me too, because I was like, wow, I never really expected that my music could sound like that. Um, because I never really play with other musicians very often, like maybe a guitar player here and there, but, um, mm -hmm. to have all that backup was pretty interesting. And, uh, yeah, I think that was the one that was really surprising to me. Otherwise it's like, he added a lot of production to don't blame me, but I've been playing that song so long that I've played it with other people. I've played it with other musicians. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think it turned out really beautifully and mm -hmm. I love the harmonies on that, which I did with my friend Stevie um, did the harmonies on that, which is like really special to me because he's amazing. And yeah, it's just everything else kind of felt, you know, <laughs> unsurprising, I guess, in some ways. Yeah. Well, sometimes maybe the best thing you need in a situation like this is just uh, someone who has uh, maybe a more experienced mm -hmm. set of ears, yeah. just giving you affirmation that, Hey, you're doing fine. Mm -hmm. Let's just go with it. You're doing fine. You know, and just giving you that confidence to keep going and keep, you know, doing what you're doing. So well, for that's, sure. I mean, yeah. I've never been in like, I've never been recording my music in a studio before and like, I can't tell you how different it was to have him there because first of all, I mean, he has tons of experience. He's recorded mm -hmm. a ton. Like he works with Metallica. He's like mm -hmm. really like, you know, he's a professional musician, which is like, I blows my mind, but, um, he, you know, I just won't forget it. Like I would do a recording, we would do a, do a take and then we go into the room and he would literally just be like, oh, this part of the song. And he pointed to like a bunch of squiggles on the screen, which is like, I don't understand any of that stuff. He's just like, there is this note, you know? And it's like, he just, mm -hmm. I'm like, I can't like, I mean, he's also, I mean, he's amazingly technically savvy with all this stuff and he's just an incredible musician. And he hears things that I think not only would I not really know to hear, but, um, you know, his ear is just incredible. Like he'll be like, he know, like he would notice like a breath I took and be like, I love that. Like, keep it in. Whereas I'd be like, okay, that's wrong. You know, or that sounds weird. Like he, he just has like a different set of ears than like a human being. <laughs> so that was so helpful to have him there. And uh, I remember like he was sitting right next to me, like with headphones on while I was like sitting at the piano playing. And it's like, I would be done with the song and kind of feeling like, did I do that right? And I turned to him and he's like, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. And um, that really gave me like all the confidence. You know, I don't think it would have been the same without him there for sure. You know? Oh, that's great. Well, yeah. it's good to know that he gave you that, uh, that, uh, you know, affirmation that you were, yeah. you were on, you were spot on and you were doing it. 
Oh, that's good. That. <laughs> you know, next I would like to to kind of highlight some of the songs on the album and have you talk a bit about them. And what I'm specifically interested in is like their inspiration, mm -hmm. uh, the musical structure. Uh, again, uh, if you can, uh, you've already kind of talked about in general about the album, but if there's anything specific about the song that was uh you know so what magic happened in the uh studio uh that was perhaps different than your original conception or any highlighting any of those pr prominent musical features uh, that's what i'd like you like you to talk about so the first song i i would like to discuss is south okay cool and uh, south comes across to me as a song of sadness and regret that a relationship did not work out well uh -huh. the opening line drank too much red wine last night uh, -huh. uh i thought it gave it almost a moniker of being a song like hank williams there's a tear in my beer yeah uh, I, I love the vocal harmonies just a little bit added just at the right time for emphasis on the lyric and again, I thought the guitar playing and soloing was very tastefully understated. So what I, but the overall mood and how I felt as I listened to this song was that there was a certain simmering sadness mm -hmm. rather than a full on ball your eyes out kind of sadness. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? For sure, yeah. So would you talk about the song and, and about that, that kind of feeling? Yeah, I mean, so spot on, like you could be talking about what that song's about, just saying that. Um, I wrote this song like we, over a long period of time, you know, you're reading my mind. No, um, we we connected. <laughs> connected. Um, you know, I wrote the chorus of this song um, when my ex-boyfriend, who I was madly in love with, and we were together for a long time, but we had, we're just not right for each other. And it was really painful, pretty much like the, most of the way through but um he went to texas for a wedding or something and i he left and i was really sad because i missed him and i had well he had asked me to go with him and i had said no and then so i wrote that song about because he left his car in my driveway and every time i looked outside his car was there and i have this feeling like oh he's there and then it's like oh but he's not here and then ultimately the song was about when we broke up like how I finished it because I had the chorus and I hadn't figured out the verses and um you know it was we were kind of in like a somewhat long distance relationship where like he'd be there and then he left and I it was this feeling of like and I was drinking a lot and the first verse is like you know waking up and the house is empty and you're kind of like it's just this kind of sickly feeling that I can't really describe, but it, it wasn't like you're saying, it wasn't like this total like heartbreak, you know, sobs thing. It was more um, along the lines of, um, uh, you know, that, that kind of slow burn that's like even worse. Um, so that's definitely what that song is, is about and like, and um, I like that, how that song ended up being like, a lot more country or something than mm -hmm. than like I expected mm -hmm. um but it was kind of funny because the it's about a guy from that's from Texas and um you know he was in Texas so it's funny that that ended up that way just by chance um Avi mm -hmm. added those like kind of those twills you know with the guitar and um 
And I thought, okay, this is really perfect actually for this, but yeah, Mm -hmm. spot on about like the kind of emotion there. It's, um, yeah, it's kind of like you're bummed out and heartbroken, but like in, you know, and sad with yourself in a way, you know, Mm -hmm. like like the self-disappointment kind of thing. Sure, sure. Well, I kind of thought on the flip side, emotionally, uh, yet kind of presented in a very similar manner, again, with, I thought, very tasteful vocal harmonies and guitar work is your song Can't Wait to Love You. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, what I gather from that song is that it's really about yearning, looking forward to being with or making a relationship work with someone you love and experiencing life and creating wonderful memories together. Um, there's a certain element of fear I'm picking up in the mm-hmm. song. Like, so you know you, like Sorry, go on. Go on. Well, I was going to say a certain element of fear, like you can't wait, but you're not sure it's going to go right. Mm-hmm. So am I, am I capturing what you're trying to come across? Actually, it's like quite the opposite. So ah. um, that song is about can't wait not to love you. So um, it's really about, having feelings for someone that like you're tired of having feelings for and like they're really bad for you and you just can't wait till you don't care about them anymore because sometimes when you're in like a toxic relationship you like you know it's really hard to kind of step away from that but you're also like aware that once you're on the other side you're going to look back and be like what was I doing and like thank god I'm out of that so that's really what that song is about um you know just be just feeling kind of heartbroken, but then, um, uh, sorry, I'm distracted right now. Um, feeling kind of, um, heartbroken, but like no, knowing you're going to get over it and that you're going to, you know, Mm -hmm. you're still reflecting on it and still, it's still like simmering inside you, but you're like ready to just like, let it go, you know? Okay. Well, I've got, I've got, you know, (laughs) one ball and one strike. So yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, the song all that mm-hmm. comes across as a song about lost love yeah to me and yeah. and what that love gave you is now lost because the lover is gone mm-hmm. awaiting for someone who is never going to return type of mood right would you right. comment yeah i mean i think more so that song is about like finding inspiration in the things that make us sad or the the things we've lost or people that have gone um, relationships that haven't worked out. It's like, um, it's about how like we get our inspiration or I get my inspiration and, you know, it's what makes me write my songs, you know, being Mm -hmm. like missing someone or feeling that, that kind of form of love that's in heartbreak. And, um, yeah, that it's like, I wanted to kind of convey that it's, it's like, it's beautiful and it's still something that you give me even though we're not together, like, is that I get to Mm -hmm. feel this way, even though it's sad and it's, you know, it's, you know, it, it feels, it feels bad. A lot of the time, it's still something that makes like, you know, connects me with why I'm alive and, Mm -hmm. and makes me feel something intense, you know? So, um, yeah, that's, I, I guess it's, it is about like lost love. Um, it is about someone being gone and like feeling like, okay, I'm never going to stop missing this person, but, um, more so it's like, it's like, thank you for this gift that you gave me of like being able to feel this much emotion and feel like, 
this intense because that's, mm -hmm. you know, it's beautiful too, even though it hurts, mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> sure, sure. Well, I know this next question I'm going to ask you is similar to that of asking a mother who their favorite child is. But, uh, <laughs> are there other songs from the album you'd like to highlight for my listeners? Um, oh, that's a good question. Okay, so... I mean, I really, I think Sing For Me is a really cool song. I think that's going to be, that's going to be the one um, that I'm releasing as a single right before the album comes out. Um, and that's a really cool song that I wrote a long time ago. And I really like how, how Avi did that one. And it's very um, representative of like the kind of feeling I had of that song. It's, I wanted it to kind of sound like a like the band or something, you know, like have this, I, I wanted these harmonies and kind of simple melody and it's kind of like, you know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, like kind of easy to sing along to kind of, um, I think almost more like lighthearted song than some of the other okay. ones. Um, right. And then the other one I definitely want to highlight is um, Every Single Time, which was, it's one of those ones that's just me and the piano. And um, it's, it's like actually probably my favorite song to sing of all those songs because it's, it's scariest one to sing. <laughs> um, and I wrote it right before we recorded. So it was the most recent one. And it's, I, it's like a really angry song, I think. So it has a different kind of feeling to me than a lot of the record does in the sense that it's like, mm -hmm. it's kind of aggressive and like, um, I think kind of empowering and, mm -hmm. uh, and I think that makes it really different for me. Cause I think a lot of the other songs kind of take the stance of being like, I'm sad and, and heartbroken and like, you know, feel sorry for me in some sense, or I feel sorry for myself in some sense. And this one is just like, you know, having self-awareness, like, you know, fuck you basically. Um, and I really like that song. So. I, I want people to check that one out too. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, of course the uh, podcast episode with this interview won't, will come in November after the album's already been out and the single's been released. So we hope people will have discovered it and can, can now hear us talk about it. That's yeah, hopefully. It's going to be awesome. We've kind of hinted around a little bit about your creative process and you talked about it being organic. And I'd like to talk, have you talk more about your creative process in terms of what inspires you when you write. And then when you come up with a, a, a concept do you usually start with a melodic idea a rhythmic idea a particular chord change or do you just go for a particular mood or emotion it's emotion i think is the thing that resonates mostly with me of those options i think you know it's changed a lot over the years um mm -hmm. whereas when i started it was more lyrical kind of you know i'd maybe write a poem and say okay like how am i going to put this to melody whereas i never do that now the thing that I do now most often is um, put a recorder on, like start like kind of improvising until I find something that like, you know, sticks out to me or like I feel something with. And then usually I, so, sometimes I know what I want to talk about, but a lot of the time I don't. And I just start talking and mo like, sometimes it's like gibberish, but then sometimes like I hear things and I'm like, whoa, I had no idea that I felt like that, you know, and it's like, I do feel like that. And it's like, it's kind of this weird, like sounds kind of creepy or something, but it's like, it's almost like a hypnosis or something because mm -hmm. 
it just comes out like that, that song silent whispers. It was like entirely, I mean, I wrote the chorus kind of quickly and thought, Oh, I like the way that sounds. And, and then I was, I was having a panic attack that day. So I was writing about, I just kind of started talking about anxiety and mm-hmm. I put the recorder on and I was saying like maybe seven verses. And then I just picked the ones that I thought were like the best and maybe fine tune them a little bit, but it really was just like kind of just came organically, completely organically. You know, mm-hmm. I can't even mm-hmm. really um, say where that stuff comes from, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's like, it's always a little different. Like these days I'm trying to be more um, thoughtful about my songwriting and more like, you know, these days I'm trying to do it every day a little bit and say, okay, I want to work on this one. And like, what am I trying to talk about here? And like, what is this song about? And, um, like, you know, and that's really been kind of helping me navigate my lyrics and like melodically too, where it goes. Um, yeah. And early on it was, I think like, so I've played the piano since I was seven and, and, and wrote, but I've written all my earliest songs on guitar, which I'm, pretty terrible at but I know how to play chords Mm -hmm. and it's something about the rhythm I think of the guitar like the strum of the guitar that like helps me hear Mm -hmm. kind of the song in a in a bigger setting or or big Mm -hmm. you know what I mean um it and when I now I've started to play with the piano like been writing on the piano it's awesome because I'm Mm -hmm. able to actually play the piano so I can write solos and like kind of like melodic stuff to go along with the vocals and that's, that's a game changer, but, um, yeah, so it's a little of everything. I think it's, it's organic, it's rhythmic. It's definitely like an emotion because I've, I mean, always my whole life I've been, I mean, since I was seven, if there's something wrong with me, like I start playing music, like every time, if I'm crying, I'm playing music, you know? (laughs) So, um, I don't know if that's necessarily healthy, but it's, it's the way I deal with things. Well, I think a lot of people who are musicians would tell you that music is great therapy uh, for ourselves. I mean, there's, uh, uh, you know, it's, uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with it or weird about it, but then maybe, (laughs) but then maybe I'm biased because I'm a musician too. I I play, but it's interesting to hear you talk about um, your, your creative process from this standpoint. One of the classes I used to teach was called Creative Thinking and Problem Solving. And uh, music class? I'm sorry. Was it a music class? No, it was not. Okay. Okay. I taught it was not even not a music class, but it because I was a music professor, it had a lot of music in it. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) It all (laughs) but but, uh, the point the point being is that uh, I used to have my students. Uh, do particular exercises to do nothing other than to stimulate their thinking. And one of the things that I would always tell them is, and this is not my idea, this is something that uh, actually comes out of a great book uh, by the director of the design school at Stanford. Uh Um, uh, Tina Selig is her name. And uh, she says, you know, to come up with a good idea, you have to just come up with a lot of ideas. Yeah, because not every idea is going to be a good one, but you've got to get you've got to get the muse spewing. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. And yeah. and it sounds to me like what's changed for you is early on, you waited till your muse spewed 
uh-huh. then you and then you would deal with it. Now yeah. it sounds like you're having a more disciplined approach yeah. and trying to find ways to get your muse to spew when you're ready for it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's a really good way of putting it. It's so funny. Yeah, and I think yeah. that's probably why, like early on, I I didn't write very much. Like there'd be periods where I wasn't really writing because mm-hmm. I, you know. I don't know, would be doing really well or like I, you know, Mm -hmm. it was not like an intentional like kind of thing. It just had to like be there when I needed it. And now, yeah, it's like I had a really good friend tell me I like so many years ago, like he was a musician and he said like he he's like play 10 minutes a day, just like try to write 10 minutes a day. And most of the time it's like not going to work, but you never know when it is. And Mm -hmm. it, it kind of like, yeah, it was kind of up to chance to some extent, like a while for me because it's like you know if I'm playing let's say I'm picking up the guitar or playing the piano like once every two weeks or something like the chances of that being at the day where it's like you know it's just gonna work is like pretty pretty small Mm -hmm. you know so so yeah just like just exercising that those muscles I think I also had this like kind of thing in my head where I thought um is it genuine if I'm sitting down and I'm intentionally writing a song because it's so different from the process I'm used to that it feels like I don't, I'm not going to force like an emotional thing out of myself, but it's, I think with practice, it does come, you know, it does. And maybe there can be different kinds of songs that are less like, you know, less blocked by like emotion and more like, you know, intellectual or like more thoughtful in some ways, because it's like, you're intentionally going there instead of just landing there. Well, the other thing you have to do is you have to find ways to prime the pump, yeah, you yeah. know, to get to get the flow going. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're also on to something, too. I don't know if you're familiar with any of these books. Some of them are probably 30 years old now, uh-huh. but they were they were the inner game books. There was the inner game of tennis. There was the inner game of skiing. There was the inner game of, well, they even wrote one called the inner game of music. Yeah. And it really talked a lot about how, uh, you know, we have two selves. We mm-hmm. have our, you know, kind of our, you know, we have our subconscious self and we have our conscious self. And one tends, you know, the subconscious, that's where all the, all the really, all the goodies are, you know. Yeah, yeah. And so we have to find ways to kind of like distract our conscious mind. And you mentioned earlier, really, really great comment when you said it was almost hypnotic. And you yeah. think about it, hypnosis is a, is a, a way to get yourself into a, uh, state of, of, uh, relaxed concentration mm-hmm. and kind of getting the conscious self out of the way. So the subconscious can come to the surface. And I think when that happens, then that's where all our creative juices are. For sure. You're, yeah. And so, and so doing something conscious to bring that about, I don't think there's anything that's forced or phony or, mm-hmm. or formulaic. Yeah. Um, I think it's only, it only gets to be formulaic. Maybe if you're, you know, working as a, you know, professional songwriter and you've got to crank yeah. out four songs before, you know, the end of the day. And <laughs> yeah. so, and so you do things, you know, and I, I'm thinking of like songwriters, like, uh, uh, that, you know, uh, it, it wrote, uh, uh, oh, Neil Sadaka I was thinking uh-huh. about him. And I remember one time he was being interviewed and he said, he, he talked about one of the songs he wrote was called Stupid Cupid. And, and he started with that because the, the, the words rhymed, right? But he had to crank yes. out a song because he was working. Oh my God. He was working at the Brill building in New York, you know, yeah. 
cranking out songs for that's people crazy. to record. Yeah. Well, that's a lot different. You're yeah. not you're not under that same sort of timeline, so you're not likely to just crank out some dumb bloody yeah. dumb lyrics. That takes, that takes a certain type of talent though, I got to tell you. Oh, I don't sure think it does. Could not do that. <laughs> to be able to sit down and write a good song in 5 minutes or whatever, yeah. I mean, you know. Anyway, uh I I'm going to ask you a totally redundant question because I, I'm pretty sure you already are. You're currently writing new stuff. I am. Yeah. I'm writing because, a lot of stuff. Because you mentioned that once the album was, was in the can, you found your, you found your, your flow of ideas starting to yeah. come back. And so, um, you know, you've got new stuff coming up. Are you planning a subsequent album? I think what I'm going to do is either, either release a, an EP or do mm -hmm. singles because, um, I think, the, the it's I'm kind of traumatized by how long it took to get this album out number one yeah. and like I just I mean I'm glad it's a record because it's I want to have my first record I don't want to just release a bunch of singles but I think it, I think next time I have like three or four songs that are pretty much good to go that I'm like I want to record and do that and they they kind of mesh together in a certain way so I think they would make a nice like, EP um mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to do that once this is good. And I'm going to, you know, give it some time to settle a little bit, probably try to play some shows and stuff this fall um, in the winter. And then, um, yeah, hopefully next early next year, I can start putting out new music, you know, that would mm -hmm. be awesome. Okay. That's, okay. that's what I'd like to do. Well, we'll certainly look forward to uh, your subsequent EPs as they, yeah, as they're released. Um, I'd like to kind of backtrack a little bit and ask you, uh, who are uh, models for your particular vocal style and quality? Who did you listen oh. to or who do you model yourself after? Um, I think I, I think about artists sometimes like Tracy Chapman mm -hmm. um, or Joan Armitrading, stuff like that, because they have this kind of low, um, this tone that I think that I have as well that is is kind of, not husky, but like, you know, it's just kind of low and like moody and so like soulful in a way, but not mm -hmm, super, mm -hmm. I'm not really pushing it. I'm definitely not like, you know, Whitney Houston or something like, you know, I, it's really, it's really just kind of, like you said, I don't take, I don't take a lot of really extreme chances with singing or like, I don't really, you know, mm -hmm. do anything too crazy. Um, because that, I feel comfortable where I am at. And it, I think it allows me to convey like the emotion that I want to feel or that I mm -hmm. want people to feel. So um, yeah, I think about stuff like that. There's definitely been like so many artists that have influenced like my style of singing and like my, um, my style of music that I like to write. There was a year that I like literally only listened to Fleetwood Mac. And mm -hmm. when I was like in my twenties and and I started writing a lot of songs that I thought were kind of like from listening to Tusk so many times that it just kind of those kind of lyrics, those kind of um, the melodies, I reminded me a little of that. And I definitely don't sound anything like Stevie Nicks, but I think there's a quality to her voice I really love that is like I keep repeating this myself, sorry, but it's she's I mean, there's an honesty with it. There's kind of this like this is what my voice is like. This is who I am. And she's not trying to sound like anything else. And I, I mean, I try to, I, I want that too. I don't want to be emulating anyone. I just want to, you know, I think I found my voice after a while and just, this is how, like, you know, when I sing a song, it's like, that's how I sing it. And I'm never trying to like make it be something it's not, you know? So yeah, I guess it's like, 
I think about those artists and stuff, but it's really just like about what comes naturally. I think what the reason I say like Tracy Chapman, Joan Armatrading is because like I, people say that I remind them of that and that, you know, I think we do have a similar quality, but I don't necessarily mm-hmm. think like I'm going into this trying to sound like that. Does that make sense? Yes, it does make sense. Yeah. Uh, because I think our personal style is shaped by the various amalgams of different people that we listen to. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and, th- and then you bring a, a unique uh, version mm-hmm. of yeah. all that, that mixture because everyone is a, a different recipe, so to speak. Yeah, I like that. You know? Yeah, totally. And uh, so, well, another similar type question then, who are uh, songwriters mm. that you've admired and maybe have even modeled yourself after? Yeah, yeah. Um... The funny thing is that like, because this album has been over the course of 12 years, it's like, there's been so many different influences on each of these songs I, or like at these phases, I guess you could say. But, um, you know, when when I've been asked this question before, the first thing that comes to mind is Bonnie Prince Billy, because um, when I was in high school, I got really into him and he's also known as Will Oldham. Um, he, I, I don't sound anything like him and I don't really write anything like him, but there he he's so honest and so natural and so like his voice is like cracking when he's singing and he's somehow manages to get so much emotion and so much feeling across even though like Mm -hmm. I guess technically you wouldn't think he has like an amazing voice he's you know it's not it doesn't sound trained or like you would never be like oh my god that beautiful voice but I love his voice you know and I love his songwriting I think it's honest and it's so intelligent in a way that you know I don't think mine is, but it's, it's very, um, he talks, I mean, his lyrics are amazing. He's very um, Mm -hmm. intentional, I think, about what he writes about. And, and I think I'm that I admire that a lot. Um, I, I love Stephen Merritt from the magnetic magnetic fields. And for a little while there, I was writing songs that sounded sort of like that. It's, you know, these kind of simple love songs. When I think of, um, when I think, listen to like, can't wait not to love you. I think, Oh, that's from, that's from uh, the magnetic fields, you know, from listening to that so much, I think, cause it's kind of just this blatant honesty and like kind of heartbreaking, but also kind of cute and, you know, sweet. And um, that like those lyrics um, kind of remind me of that. And then, um gosh so many different artists uh Mm -hmm. I love I love Jeff Buckley I used to play his songs when I was first learning to kind of accompany myself and and sing on the piano um before I started writing music I was playing a lot of his songs and they're they're just the the compositions are so amazing and um I like that they kind of go in different way places that you don't expect them to go um Mm -hmm. which is kind of like the songs I'm writing now I think emulate that a little more, um, because I'm, I'm trying to, uh, experiment with having a little, a little bit less structure and being a little bit less predictable. Um, and yeah, his voice, I mean, his, like his style of performing and like just the, uh, yeah, like I said, it's just like so unpredictable, I guess. And so mm-hmm. beautiful. Um, those are the ones that like immediately come to mind. But I mean, I loved the Beatles when I was a kid. I think they were like the reason that I like, I, you know, that's so so cliche, but um, 
when I was like 10, my, I got a CD player for Christmas and I got Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. And that was like the first time I felt like in love with music. You know, I, I was listening to it on my headphones and I just thought like, I'd never felt that feeling before where, you know, that feeling when you just love a song or you, mm-hmm. and you, I mean, it's just, it's so magical and there's nothing else like that. And I felt that, and I was just absolutely obsessed with the Beatles. Like I had to hear everything I could and mm-hmm. see every video and, um, so that was kind of the start of that. And I, yeah, I don't know if they influenced me musically, but they do. I mean, I guess they well, do. Well, <laughs> yeah. certainly if they turned you on to music, they influenced yeah. you musically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm going to combine a couple of questions just simply because okay. now as I'm looking at them, they're really kind of uh, similar in a way. And you've already somewhat talked about it. Uh, but I, I, so what I'm interested in knowing is, uh, other than recording and releasing a a new album, uh, how have you been keeping active, uh, since COVID has shut down a lot of live performing. And I, of course, I know California and the Bay area has been particularly, uh, strict about about um, you know masking and and shutting things down and then please talk about the music scene in uh, your neck of the woods even pre-covid and some of the typical venues where you would perform well i haven't done much before well i'll start there i haven't done much performing out here actually um okay the only performing I've done here has been like at house shows or i did like an art show like in kind of a warehouse um some like i mean the funny thing is that performing for me is interesting because I think my music's not very well suited to a lot of venues. Like I think it kind of needs to be very intimate um, for it to Mm -hmm. kind of convey what I want it to. Like I've played shows where I can't hear myself because there are people talking and stuff. And I totally respect that, but it's just not really, it's not really like what I'm trying to do. Um, so I'm, tr- I'm trying to figure that out, like moving forward too, like kind of what, what I'm going to do about that. Or like, I think for now, like I, I, I feel most comfortable performing in like, you know, people's houses or like, you know, like a, like there, there was a, a venue in Oakland called like the elephant, um, room or something. And they, they had a piano there and it's like a, it feels like a coffee shop kind of deal. Um, but yeah, there's, I mean, there's so many incredible venues here. Um, when, before COVID, I was going to a lot of shows, at like the independent and mostly in the city, you know, um, mm-hmm. there's not real. I mean, there's the Fox theater, which is gorgeous in, um, in Oakland, but it's like, for, as far as like smaller venues for, you know, up and coming artists or, or people who are kind of like on the scene here there, they play the independent, the chapel, like stuff in, in the mission, um, which I, I can't wait to play there one day. I will do it. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And I, uh, so there's definitely like a, a huge scene there and my producer Avi is a huge part of it. Um, so he's kind of, he's kind of helped me get into it. Um, and, and he's introduced me to a lot of artists that are there around there. Um, but yeah, and COVID, like, I mean, staying active during COVID, it's been such an interesting thing because, I, I finished my album and it was completely done literally like a couple of weeks before the shutdown. And mm-hmm. I was like, Oh my God, I can't release this now. How am I going to play shows or like promote this or like, so it just kind of went on hold. And then, you know, it's kind of, I, I mean, it just felt like forever that it was like taking to come out and I wasn't really able to do much about it or like make a lot of the time in terms of like promoting the album or like, 
I didn't play any shows online or do anything really like that. Um, but I released my singles and that was cool. Um, so it's to answer your question, really, it's like, if this is all new to me and I'm going to have to figure it all out, I, um, I haven't really been part of like a music scene since I was like on the East coast. So although I've been here for like five years, I haven't been playing like solo around here. So we'll have Mm -hmm. to see how people like feel about me and like how I can break into that stuff. And just kind of starting small, you know, I'm going to put myself out there and, um, I I think it'll be really nice to just have, um, my album out so that I can, you know, contact some venues and ask them if I can play and Mm -hmm. I'll have like some, something that they can. Well, you'll have your recordings for them to listen to, to decide, you know, I mean, as a way to help market yourself. I mean, that's, that's the kind of the big thing because every time you want to book yourself in a club, well, what does your group sound like? Oh, well, okay. So, you know, you got some sound samples on your website. That's what I would do for my group. And uh, I'm like you, I had a live album in the can. Uh, Actually, we recorded it in 2019 and and was getting ready to release it. And it's still sitting there because I can't see the reason. Yeah, because I can't see my group. Well, see, I can't even get my group together to rehearse. Because because where we rehearse has got uh, COVID restrictions, and uh, and certainly the clubs are not uh, uh, going to bring it. My group's an eight piece. Yeah. Wow. Cool. Uh, f- yeah, it's it's five horns and rhythm section. Yeah. So so they're kind of sticking with smaller, you know, duos and trios, yeah. maybe a quartet in a lot of places. But so you guys haven't played together since before COVID, then. That's right. The That's last crazy. time we played, the last time we played together was February of 2020. Damn. We that had a re- is- we had a rehearsal. We had a rehearsal, and uh, we uh, we had a gig scheduled for May, but of course that got canceled. So yeah. anyway, um, you you know you've already talked somewhat about how you uh, you know generate ideas, and mm-hmm. but do you keep like a, a recordings or a sketchbook or anything of your musical ideas to draw upon later? Oh my God. I have like hundreds of voice memos. And then okay. sometimes when I'm driving, I just put them on and then I'll, I'll like find some and I'll be like, Oh, that was like a really good idea. And then I come back to it. But, um, you know, because, because my writing is so like, you know, a lot of the time it doesn't even have lyrics yet. It's just mm-hmm. like ideas, you know? So it's, it really helps me to listen back to it. Cause I also don't have a great memory. So it's like, I'll play something. I'll be like, Oh, that was awesome. And then it's just like completely gone out of my brain. Like, mm-hmm. and, um, so I have to, I, the second I start writing, I put the recorder on and then I can be like, okay, I know there was something good in there and then come back and, and have it. So yeah, I have like years worth of voice memos that, you know, <laughs> yeah, if I die, someone can go in there and re- write, finish those songs for me. <laughs> well, we could have, we could have the, uh, you know, the, you know claudia's basement tapes or whatever exactly. right yeah, yeah when i'm totally famous yeah yeah i, <laughs> I only have uh, two more questions to okay, ask cool. you and then and then we'll wrap things up one is what's your most uh memorable musical experience wow um i mean it's really hard to beat the being in the studio that day i have to say but actually i got uh-huh. um I mean, that was incredible. That was one of the best days of my life. But, um, but when I was 
visiting my friend in Maine. Um, this is when I first decided I was going to like, you know, I had a group of songs together and I was like, okay, I can actually record an album now, all this stuff. I visited my best friend, Joanna in Camden, Maine. And I told her I was coming and she's like, she works at this amazing vineyard called Oyster River Wine Company. It's like, or it's the, uh, it's the only like vineyard in Maine, basically, as you can, like, a, they make amazing wine, but, um, I was visiting there and she goes, Oh, you have to play a show at the barn, you know, the, where they make the wine and they have these, like these nights there. So it was awesome. We had this, this, like this old, old piano, um, covered in, in candles. And, um, I played for like, you know, it was 20 people or something, but it was like, <laughs> so awesome and it felt it was very like it was very monumental to me because I think it was the first time I'd played like a full thing on my own you know without um without like other people like you know I've been in I've played with other bands you know like I've sung for them and stuff but this was like all about me and uh and people really liked it and it was really awesome so that was that was a pretty awesome okay moment yeah well sometimes it's not the big things it's the little things we remember totally. most well i just have one more question for you claudia is there anything else you would like to add or tell my audience um i guess just that like i hope you guys like it and i hope that i hope that it it hits a chord for you and and also that it's just been so fun talking to you and oh uh, thank you such a cool thing to like be here talking to the, a professor about my music <laughs> and on podcast and yeah you're really great and it's well, been thanks. a fun time for me so thank you well thank you i i should have known i would have brought my dog along yeah sorry he's sneaking in no no that's okay you don't <laughs> okay. have to apologize i'm a lover of dogs oh really oh, oh yes God. in fact in fact i my my dog carmel's maybe sitting oh. not too far from me right now because we, we just got him like two weeks ago so he's oh, our new dog i've never beautiful. had a dog before yeah he's oh really yeah, yeah i love <laughs> Uh, love dogs yeah they're great well well claudia thank you for taking time to talk with me today it was a lot of fun for me yeah. too and all the best with what i'm sure is going to be a continued successful musical future thank you so much it was such a pleasure thank you, you let's keep in touch you bet. <laughs> my discovery composer of the week is lawrence ashmore Born in 1928, died in 2013. An English composer who has written concert pieces and music for the stage and film. Ashmore graduated from the Royal College of Music in London with studies in composition, double bass, and conducting. He joined the Boyd Neal Chamber Orchestra and later the London Symphony and Royal Philharmonic Orchestras, playing double bass. Subsequently, he played bass freelance in all areas from opera to rock. In 1966, he joined BBC Radio as an arranger, working, on, working in light entertainment department transferred to tv to work on a new show top of the pops doing the show live each week for three years since 1971 
He has worked commercially mainly in the realm of cinema and television films. As far back as 1961, he had worked on Lawrence of Arabia, and to date has completed arranging or orchestrating over 130 film scores. Following an eight-year period from 1979, living in Spain and in the United States and working also at his other career of painter, Larry continued film and recording work with instrumental albums of music by Abba, John Denver, and Harry Belafonte. Returned to Britain in 1987, and joined with Howard Blake, composer of The Snowman, and assisted him with the completion of five major concert works. That year, he also returned to the world of film, music having met Patrick Doyle, who was about to start on the score for Kenneth Branagh's Henry V, Patrick's first feature film. For their work on this picture, Patrick and Lawrence won an Ivor Novello Award for Best Film Score, and he has now orchestrated nearly all of Patrick's pictures and also a number of orchestrations for three other British composers, Trevor Jones, Rachel Portman, and Jenny Muscat. While in the United States, he has also worked with several composers, including Lawrence Rosenthal and Basil Polidorus. In the field of concert music, he has orchestrated three ballets for composer Paul Reed, Hobson's Choice, Far From the Maddening Crowd, and Byron, all for Birmingham Royal Ballet. For Patrick Doyle, he scored The Thistle and the Rose, a song cycle for soprano, chorus, and orchestra, commissioned by His Royal Highness the Prince of Wales to commemorate the 90th birthday of Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mother. RCA Records commissioned him to write and arrange for the American clarinetist Richard Stoltzman, music by Gerald Finzi and Ashmore himself, on an album of English music. Recently, he arranged a newly discovered piece by Armstrong Gibbs for the Guildhall String Ensemble, which was premiered at Wigmore Hall and now recorded on the Hyperion label. During 2001, he orchestrated Bridget Jones' Diary, Gosford Park, and The Shipping News. 2002 found him working on a French animated picture, Caina, as well as a CD of his own arrangements for strings and a series of TV commercials with the Philharmonia Orchestra. In 2003, Larry orchestrated the music for Calendar Girls and Secondhand Lions and completed work on the music for Mel Gibson's remarkable biblical picture, The Passion of the Christ. Larry Ashmore also orchestrated a new ballet for the National Youth Ballet, 
The Match Girl, and The Flame. The All Music Guide lists 55 recordings of soundtracks and other recordings of music that Ashmore was affiliated. In my show notes is a link to a YouTube video performance of Ashmore's arrangement for clarinet and orchestra of Gerald Finzi's Five Bagatelles for Clarinet and Piano, Opus 23, Number 4, Forlana, performed by Robert Plain Clarinet and the Royal Northern Sinfonia, conducted by Howard Griffiths. Well, that wraps episode number 64. My show notes, along with links to artists' websites, recording label websites, YouTube videos of artists' performances, are all posted on my Facebook page, The Musical Universe of Professor Hurst. Coming next week is my interview with piano-pumping, boogie-woogie, and rockabilly Wunderkind Veronica Lewis. She is winning all kinds of awards in the music world, and you won't want to miss our discussion. Other upcoming interviews include the Nashville-based husband and wife duo Elder, Chicago-based contemporary composer and pop performer Cassandra Kasger, David Wimbush of the North Carolina-based alternative pop group The Collection, and Portland, Oregon-based jazz trumpet player Farnell Newton. So don't touch that dial and stay tuned. If you have questions, comments, or a suggestion of an artist, composer, or musical style for me to consider, you may email me at h-u-r-s-t-c at u-w-m dot e-d-u. So, until next time, this is Professor Craig W. Hurst and Carmel the Wonder Dog signing off from the musical universe of Professor Hurst. Have a great day.